Welcome to Detour to Neverland, where you are the author of your own Disney story. There's a lot of satisfaction in developing ideas into realities. And you can find magic in your everyday life. If you do what you really want to do, you feel like you're playing. How can you write your first chapter today? Dreams are how we figure out where we want to go. Life is how we get there. I'm headed this way. We're your hosts, Brendan and Catherine. Welcome back to Detour to Neverland. Today is episode number 312. We are so happy to have you join us today. For this episode, we have a big announcement. We have a lot to talk about. But first, let's hear a note from our travel agent sponsor. Yeah, so Hannah Little with Creating Magic Vacations is our sponsor for our episode today. And if you are looking to come down to Florida, maybe go out to California, go on a cruise, visit Universal, whatever it might be, Hannah is your person to help you plan that trip. All you have to do is go to detourtoneverland.com slash little bit of Disney, where you can find her form, fill out what you know about your trip, maybe what your budget is, when you might want to come down, just some general information about what you would want to accomplish on your trip. And then Hannah will work her magic and piece together the rest. She's completely free to use her services. And we can attest to the fact that she's a great asset when you're planning your trip. So again, detourtoneverland.com slash little bit of Disney. And the link is also in our show notes. As the date comes closer and closer, that 50th anniversary celebration, I think all Disney fans need to make at least one trip. That is honestly one of my biggest regrets in life is that we did not go to the Disneyland 60th anniversary celebration a few years ago. And it didn't even last the full 18 months like Walt Disney World says. But if you're on the fence... I think you got to do it. You got to be there. See, they, I know they're holding stuff back from us. <laughs> I sure hope so. I mean, especially some food. I'm I'm waiting for some food. So I highly, highly recommend if you are on the fence, get that wheel in motion. Reach out to Hannah and get that trip planned. Our major announcement. This is something that we've been working on for a very long time. And we wanted to make sure that we had all the pieces in place before we put this in motion because We want to be able to provide the best value and the best version of ourselves and give it everything we've got. So we are happy to announce that as of today, on September 9th, 2021, we officially have a Patreon. And it's something that we have went back and forth on many, many different times. And now we finally feel like we have everything in place. We feel like we can offer something that's a good value and... So I guess let's talk through just some of the details real quick, and then we'll get into the meat of our episode. We only have one tier. We make it very simple. Oh, yes. $5 a month to become a patron of Detour to Neverland. All of the details on what we offer for that $5 a month tier are highlighted there. It's patreon.com slash Detour to Neverland. But just real quickly, things that you're going to get, you're going to get all of our show notes. So today's show notes, all the research that I did to present to Catherine, will be up there ready for you to read. You'll see all the sources that I used in order to put this together. You're going to get your name added to the credits for the podcast episodes and YouTube videos that we're going to do. We're going to do bonus episodes that are Patreon only and specifically designed for patrons. And we are going to do tutorials and how-to videos, just kind of sharing things that we've picked up along the last three years of being content creators. But more than anything, it's just an extra outlet to go a little bit deeper. And I'm really excited about it. Yeah, like Brendan said, this is something that we have kicked the tires on for such a long time. I mean, at least a year, honestly. And we always came back to, we always knew when we set it up, we wanted to make sure that if someone decided to be a patron of Detour to Neverland, that there was value added. And we hope that if you check it out, um, even if you just want to look at it, we hope that you do feel like there's value added. Yeah. So we look forward to that. We're always looking for feedback as well. There's things that you think that would be beneficial to you in that subscription program. And we would really, really appreciate that. And the other part of it is the first 25 patrons to sign up will get an exclusive first edition Detour to Neverland magnet. 
when that's the first time we've ever done anything like that too. And we're excited for that. I don't know, just lots of things that we've talked about for a very long time are kind of coming into play and it's just an exciting time for us. Yep. So if, like I said, if you're one of the first 25, then you will be receiving some in the mail. And we have a lot of tricks up our sleeve as we go down that path as well. I don't know if anybody knows this, but my love language is um, acts of service. So <laughs> I like to give gifts and stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a second. That's a, a separate love language is gift giving. Oh, I thought they were one and the same. No, it's like physical contact. Uh, I don't know. There's a lot of them, but I know gift. I know gift giving and like acts of service and like words of affirmation. Those are all three separate things. Okay. Well, I'm trying to say I'm very appreciative, and we will continue to look for new ways in order to make Patreon a fun space. And we just wanted to make it simple: five bucks a month. All we're putting it up for and we'd love it if you joined us we still love you if you don't join us because we're going to continue doing this twice a week and putting up youtube videos and we are happy to have you join us for anywhere and or all (laughs) of the stuff we put out so our topic today and the format for this episode is what we've been doing a little bit more recently where just i did the research for today And I put together, kind of streamlined all of my thoughts and covered a topic that I wanted to get out there and share with you as the listeners, but also with Catherine, because you have no idea what we're going to talk about today. No, I'm excited. I'm in the hot seat again. Computer or anything to know what I was working on? No, I haven't. I'm I'm a very honest co-host. I don't want to ruin the integrity of what we're trying to do here. Oh, okay. So our topic today is Magic Kingdom on October 1st, 1971. Ooh, that's fun. And my goal here is to walk through what it would have been like for the typical park guest who went on this very, very first opening day. And something I didn't even realize until recently is that they did not have the grand opening celebration until later in October. I guess that's just my ignorance. I always thought that it was on October 1st, but that is not the case. For the first couple weeks, they actually just operated it like normal, nothing really out of the ordinary. And so I wanted to really grasp onto what those first couple weeks were like, what the guests would have been experiencing. And then as we get closer to the 50th anniversary, we will cover the grand opening celebration Probably talk about Julie Andrews quite a bit. <laughs> so I actually watched Princess Diaries 2 the other day because it was on Freeform just after school. So how can you not watch that? And, you know, the thought did cross my mind to do a Julie Andrews episode. I mean, you could. She was there for the grand opening celebration. And it's actually a three-day celebration that they officially did. So wow, we're going to cover that before the 50th to get you ready, but I thought no better place to start than Magic Kingdom on October 1st, 1971. So I wanted to pull some of the facts and figures from October 1971 or late September into early October just so we can get in the same mind space as what these guests, these first guests would have been experiencing. So the billboard number one on October 1st, 1971, song was from a 13-year-old artist named Donny Osmond singing Go Away, Little Girl. Have you ever heard this song? No. <laughs> well, thankfully, I pulled a clip. Oh, my gosh. Go away, We're risking it all today on copyright, by the way. That was terrifying. (laughs) You didn't like that? Oh my gosh, no. I mean, I don't know what I expected. Honestly, I was trying to get into the headspace of these would be like the Justin Bieber's. Like 13, that's young. He was a very young performer. And then I know you're horrible with like singers and especially historical singers, but do you know what Donny Osmond would go on later to sing 
I'll give you a hint. It, I think it's your favorite Disney song of all time. Oh, gosh. Well, that puts a lot of pressure on things. Made in 1998. Ring in go the, the distance. I'll make a man out of you. Oh, okay. <laughs> that is a good one. So, as we know, there's always a connection back to Disney. So, 13-year-old Donny Osmond comes out with Go Away, Little Girl. He was on the Billboard number one, and at that time they did him for a week long, which maybe they still do it that way, mm-hmm. and it would run through Fridays. So actually, Saturday the 2nd, a new song came out as the number one song, and that was Rod Stewart's Maggie May. Have you heard this one? No. <laughs> Does that ring any bells for you? No, but I liked that one. Oh, my God. It is honestly, and we've talked about this on the podcast in the past, it is baffling how you and I are one year apart in age, but the music that we grew up on could not be any more different. Were you familiar with Maggie May? Yes. No. Now, I did not hear the Donny Osmond song growing up, but this genre was like all that my parents listened to. I mean, still, I drove your mom's car a few weeks back, and it was on the blues channel. Blues? That that wasn't blues. No, I'm just saying, like, musically, they have very different taste than my parents. Yes, correct. So, those would be the two most popular songs as we, as a family, are driving to Central Florida to go to Walt Disney World on opening day. You might ask, what would we be driving? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> in 1971, the most popular car on the road was a Chrysler New Yorker. Now, I was not familiar with this car. I'm not a car person, but I looked up a picture of it, and it's exactly what you would think of a car in 1971. Like a sedan? Long and wide and like a Buick. Oh, almost. my gosh. Yes. Did so they the, come in cool colors? Uh, the one that I saw was like maroon, so not oh. overly cool. Okay. Other things happening around this time with the price of gas was around 37 cents a gallon, which adjusted for inflation is $2, around $2.50, which honestly isn't too far off. Not bad, yeah. The number one box office movie at this time was The Stewardesses. This is weird. This is directly from Wikipedia. It said this movie was produced on a budget of just over $100,000, and the film grossed $25 million in 1970, becoming the most profitable 3D film ever released. In budget relative term, it remains among the most profitable theatrical films ever produced, and it was originally self-rated as X, like the one past R. Oh. Ooh, David. (laughs) The film was largely reshot and re-edited to receive the R rating, from the Motion Picture Association of America to qualify for a wide general release. Simultaneously, the technology of the projection print was enhanced by means of anamorphic 3D to a larger image, and this was the version that appeared in 1971, which became the top box office movie. It was actually for all of September and all of October. The Stewardesses was the most popular movie in the U.S., I don't like that. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how I feel about the 70s anymore. (laughs) Um, What a time. And then a lot of you will know this, but I always like to, it it helps me picture in my mind, the president at this time, do you know who it was? Was it Nixon? Yes. Okay, I got one. Yeah. What a time to be alive, right? I mean, I'm like shuddering a little. So you like the Rod Stewart song more than Donny Osmond? Yeah, there's a lot go- there's a lot going on right now. And I know what you're thinking at home right now, and it's not what I'm about to say. Okay. What I'm about to say is Brendan, did Rod Stewart have a Disney connection as well? And initially, I would have said no, but I dug deeper and yes, he did. Rod Stewart? Yes, in 1993, Rod Stewart 
and Brian Adams and Sting, which that's a reference that's relevant to us right now, released the song All for Love for the Disney movie The Three Musketeers, which featured Charlie Sheen, of all people. This is getting weirder and weirder. Do you want to listen to a little snippet of All for Love? Um, You have one prepared? I do. (laughs) Well, then by all means. When it's love you give Which, if that song doesn't scream 1993, I don't know what does. You know, it, <laughs> I mean, it's quite comical. I feel like all singers at that time had that, I don't even know how to describe that voice, but it made me think of Michael Bolton. Oh, it made me think of Steven Tyler. Because we watched that uh, Love Match show where he oh, always it's sings. So awful. Oh, it's bad, but that's, it sounded just like him. If anybody's curious about why Sting is relevant for us right now, we have a show that you should watch. It's on Hulu called Only Murders in the Building. It's got Martin Short, Steve Martin, and Selena Gomez. And Sting is in there as well, just randomly. Just, yeah, he's living in the building. But yes, Rod Stewart did sing a Disney song, the classic, All for Love. I don't know why that's not in the Main Street loop, honestly. It deserves to be there. It really should be. That was a bop. (laughs) So... Does that set the tone? Do you do you have the seventies vibes going on for you now? I'm very confused. <laughs> Is that how I'm supposed to feel? Yeah. <laughs> Just a little like I don't know what's going on here. So I mentioned earlier about the grand celebration being later in October and just wanted to kind of clarify to set the stage. And this was largely in part because so many people who are putting this together were part of the nineteen fifty five opening in Disneyland. And that just went so poorly. And so they decided maybe it's good to get a couple weeks under our belt. We understand how the traffic flow works and how the people are going to get here. Because, of course, putting them on the other side of the lake and having to get to Magic Kingdom was a new experience. And so they just kind of thought it was a safer bet. All right, let's make the opening day celebration a few weeks later. It also gave them the opportunity to get a TV crew in there. So we're going to cover that in a future episode but just to kind of clarify on why this didn't happen on the actual opening day. So let's talk about that opening day when the people were ready to arrive. You have a question? Your hand's up. Well, I was just going to backtrack before we move on too much. That's definitely a Roy decision. Like the more you talked about it, it was very logistical, very well planned. Like everything, our T's have to be crossed. Our I's have to be dotted before we bring in the camera crews before we let anyone really see everything. Let's make sure it's up and running. Where Walt would have just said, Do We're it. doing it. Yeah. Here it we're open. Hello. And that's just something that stood out to me. It was very cute and funny. Well, and a lot of so I spent a lot, a lot of time, and that's actually what I'm gonna read next, reading a lot of quotes from people who were there on the opening day. And a lot of the conversation does go about that Roy was painfully stressed. Now, it is a little bit sad. He did pass away just a few months later in December of 1971. And a lot of people say that he was, he might have been sick at this time and he was just kind of pushing through and you could tell like he didn't really like the idea of Walt Disney World. He really was just doing this for his brother. Which is so sweet. I mean, what a better tribute to your brother. Yeah. So here's a quote from the Walt Disney press agent at the time, Charlie Ridgway, on his observations as the guests started to come in. He said, on opening day, I remember Card Walker, who at the time was a top executive for Walt Disney Productions, and I think Don Tatum. He was the president at the time. He later became the CEO of the company after Roy passed away a few months later. All three of them, back to the quote, he says, going up in a helicopter to see the traffic coming into the park. Originally, we had predicted there would be about 10,000 people, but the newspapers kept increasing that figure. One paper on the East Coast predicted 200,000, and that was picked picked up by a foreign newspaper that added an additional zero, so it was reported that 2 million people would show up. 
We purposely opened in the off season to work out the bugs. And it turned out we were right there. That there was about 10,000 people on the first day. Anyway, they are up in the helicopter and they see this long line of cars and they are smiling. And then suddenly the line turns the wrong way. And they realize <laughs> that the cars weren't guests, but actually the cast members driving in to work. And they had about 5,000 cast members in those days. Now, Here's the figure, we're going to talk a lot about numbers as we go further on, but this quote comes up quite a few times, and other people mention this 5,000 cast member number. I don't know if that means 5,000 cast members on duty that day or Walt Disney World Magic Kingdom had 5,000 cast members. They all probably wouldn't be scheduled for the same day. But if you just think about that, if you assume if there's 5,000 people working that's one cast member per every two guests because it was around 10,000 people that showed up on that first day. I can't even imagine what that ratio is now. Yeah, that's hard. To, did you find any numbers on how many cast members work a given day? I did not. And, you know, that's where it gets. There's so many cast members who are working backstage and mm -hmm. there's, you know, lots of shifts going on. So, I don't know if you could ever find a real figure, but that just stood out to me. 5,000 cast members. I'm I'm kind of thinking that's the overall number, and that's not how many actually worked on this day. Yeah, I wonder if it was just a way of putting it into perspective. Like, so many cast members were coming in at the same time. It looked like half were cast members and half were guests, whereas that wasn't really the case. Yep. So let's get back into our Chrysler New Yorker. We're listening to some Rod Stewart and some Donny Osmond. And just like today, we as the guests have to park over the TTC parking lot and cross the Seven Seas Lagoon to get to the Magic Kingdom. At that time, we would have flipped the parking attendant. How much money do you think to park? A nickel. 50 cents. Okay. Steep. I know. <laughs> Whoa. Then the same way that we do now, the guests would board the monorails or the ferry boats to get to Magic Kingdom. But before you would cross the lagoon, you would, just staying true to its name, you would purchase your tickets at the ticker Ticket and Transportation Center. There are three tickets sold on opening day. A child ticket would cost one whole dollar. Okay. This is for children ages 3 to 11. A junior general admission ticket from ages 12 to 17 was $2.50, and an adult ticket was $3.50. But like I said, these are just the general admission tickets. They did sell the attraction tickets separately. So this is where we get the e-ticket booklets, and there were different packages that they sold. So they basically sold one that included seven attractions, one that included 11 attractions, or you could pay for them individually. So Wanted to quickly run through the different prices for these, and maybe I'll get you to guess where some of these different attractions would have fallen. Okay. So an A ticket cost ten cents a dime, a B ticket twenty-five cents, C ticket fifty cents, D ticket seventy-five cents, and E tickets ninety cents. Now, why they didn't make that a dollar, I'll never know. And when you're talking about, you could buy them in groups of like eleven or seven. Did that include any ride you wanted or did you still have to pick like I want two B's, one D, one E? Uh, yeah. So the book came with like a set number of A through E's. So okay. you couldn't use all of your seven if you got the seven adventure ticket book was what it was called. You couldn't use all seven of them on an E ticket like Jungle Cruise. I see. You'd have to space them out based on how the book did it. Designated it. Okay. So a ticket would be things like Cinderella. Teacups? Nope. No. Okay. Sorry. I interrupted. Main I Street vehicles were an A ticket costing a dime. Wow. Cinderella's Golden Carousel, A ticket costing a dime. B tickets, 25 cents. The Main Street Cinema. The Swiss Family Treehouse, the Frontier Shooting Gallery, 
Uh, here's where I'll get you to guess. Where do you think, let's see, the Hall of Presidents fell? Well, geez. So my designations, it just goes A, B, C, D, E. Correct. E being the, the biggest. Highest. Yeah. B? Which one did I? Oh, a Hall of Presidents. Hall of Presidents. A D ticket attraction. What? 75 cents? Yep. Country Bear Jamboree. That better be E ticket. D as well. They put Country Bears with the Hall of Presidents? They did. The nerve. Mad Tea Party? I'm stumped. C? Correct. Okay, yes. Peter Pan's Flight? E. C. No way. Yes. I thought that would be a big one for sure. The Haunted Mansion. E, final answer. Yes. Yes. So we, we won't run through every single one of these, but E, were Jungle Cruise, Tropical Serenade, The Haunted Mansion, It's a Small World, Mickey Mouse Review, and 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. I wonder if they're going to do something special for those like e-ticket attractions on the 50th anniversary. Real quick, I'll answer that in just a second, or I'll share my thoughts on it. I did misspeak on one. 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea actually didn't open until two weeks after opening day. We'll get into that in a future episode. But it was still, I guess, it would have been there for their opening Yeah, they probably had it on the ticket, but you couldn't ride it on opening day. Interesting. Um, but that yeah. heads rolled for that. So we talked about in the past, I think we've talked about it on the podcast before, for the 50th anniversary of Disneyland, so a number of years ago now, when that took place, 2005, I guess, if I can do math, <laughs> they, on all the opening day attractions, they took one of the ride vehicles and they like gold-plated it for everything. So for Mad Tea Party, they took one off, wrapped it in gold, put it back on, and it was a real thrill of people trying to ride those. They did it for Dumbo. They did it for all kinds of things. I'm still holding out hope that they might do that for Disney World, I just, for Magic Kingdom. I just, I, I'm thinking maybe the way that they're doing that is through these statues instead of actually working on the ride vehicles. Well, because I assume to be able to do that, they would have had to shut the ride down. I mean, that's not something you can just do in a night, right? Yeah, and I got super hype a while ago because Mad Tea Party was closed for a couple of days for refurbishment, and I thought, it's happening. This is it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it felt like the office scene where it's happening, and <laughs> they did it. So, Or... Did they? We just don't know about it. <laughs> they wrapped the wrap. Yeah, they. It's some sort of voodoo magic. Yeah, I don't know. It would be nice. I think it's a fun idea. I could also see how it would be pandemonium, especially on something like a teacups, where they just say, "Go, like be free, pick your teacup." You know, I can just imagine the grown adults knocking each other over. To get to sit in the gold teacup. Let's be honest. They'd make you pay for it now. They'd have a separate line. (laughs) Gold. This is the gold teacup line. Yeah. $5. Well, people would do it. I I would do it. Honestly. It'd be kind of (laughs) cool. Okay. So I wanted to get that out of the way, but let's put ourselves back into the timeline. We're not into the parks yet. We're still at the TTC. Us and our family visiting on October 1st, 1971. And it this is taking a while. And we're taking our time. We're soaking it all in. <laughs> so we would have had the same two options. I guess now there's technically more. You can technically walk to the Magic Kingdom from the TTC. And they do sometimes run the buses. But on this day, we would have had two options on how to get there. The monorails and the ferries. The monorails running on that opening day were monorail orange, green, gold, and blue. So, if you're going on the 50th anniversary, I'm not telling you what to do, but if you're going to ride the monorail, I would hold out for one of those. (laughs) Yeah, as if there's any choice. I was going to say, on the 50th, if you opt for the bus, you're you're already doing it wrong. You're wrong. It's going to be so crowded, though. The bus is going to be so tempting. You're wrong. 
The ferry boats are not the same ferry boats that we have today. Those were not in operation yet. So the two original ferries were the Ports O'Call and the Southern Seas. Both were side wheel steamers was the style of ferry boat, and it could hold up to 250 guests. Do you know the capacity for the boats today? I don't. And I was trying to think about that. I would assume it's probably around 250. I could, yeah, it's hard for me to picture. I can't tell if that's big or small, honestly. It's more than a bus. Well, <laughs> it is. It is more than a bus. I have already decided when we go, and I guess we can split up if we need to, if you have a different thing in mind, I want to ride the ferry. We always ride the ferry. I know. That's nothing. You you started off like this was going to be some grand declaration and hear ye, hear ye. it was the same old thing that we always do. Brendan and Catherine will be riding the Admiral Joe Fowler <laughs> to get to the Magic Kingdom on October 1st, 2021. We will be. I, I mean, I agree. I enjoy the ferry for the most part just because. I don't open know. air. Yeah. Open air. You just have if to you get a coffee. Yeah. You're going to have to get coffee before hand on this day in particular you think starbucks is gonna gonna have a line busy so um we made it we're here at the front gates we're about ready to go into the turnstiles we're all lining up we're ready to go and the first guest to enter the magic kingdom officially of course there were people who came and went the first one officially were a family of four from lakeland florida named the windsor family and they slept in their car overnight at a roadside <laughs> rest area in the Orlando area so that they could be to the TTC first thing in the morning to park their car. And you may ask, how was this family picked? Like, what made them eligible to be it? And they were chosen by Jack Lindquist, who was the director of marketing. And he has a quote explaining his reasoning here. He said, Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. I picked a family with a father who looked like. Jack Nicholas, the popular golfer, <laughs> and a mother who looked like Mrs. Brady from the Brady Bunch. Oh, my God. And they had two blonde-headed sons. And after the first family entered, we opened the Walt Disney World gates, and people came into a well-staffed and well-organized day. So, so it was all based on looks? <laughs> How pretty- shallow. I thought it was going to be something like I could just tell. Like, you know, they were so excited. They slept in their car. So the Windsor family, they did get to go in. They were escorted by the first Walt Disney World ambassador, Mickey Mouse, as well as as some top executives. And then the press was already on the inside of the gates. And so they snapped a ton of pictures of them, did interviews with them. And then the Windsor family got to be the grand marshals in the parade that day as well. What a day. What a day. Sleeping in your car is worth it. Maybe. Maybe that's what we have to do. I was about to say that. We need a cute kid. Where? How can we steal our niece? If anybody has a kid up for rent on October 1st, let Ooh, us know. Redhead, make it believable. We're yeah. here. We're a good time. We're responsible. I'm a teacher, so we're trustworthy. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> So now that we're inside, let's talk about some of the things that we could have experienced on this first day. In the Main Street area, the stores would have been the Market House Store, the Camera Center, the Coca-Cola Refreshment Corner, which they do still have in Disneyland, but now we have it as Casey's Corner, the House of Magic Shop, the Penny Arcade Attraction, the Main Street Confectionery, the Emporium, Main Street Bake Shop, the Clock Shop, Main Street Cinema, and the Crystal Palace restaurant would have been all of our stores and restaurants on Main Street. So some of those still around today. Do we know if the confectionery is going to be open for October 1st? I think that's what they're shooting for. I, I would hope so. It, I mean, it has to be. I, I really hope so. If not, they better turn the smell up to 11. Yeah, I better, I better know from the TTC what they're cooking that day. The attractions that we could have done in this area would be the Walt Disney World Railroad, which on opening day had three steam engines on it, the Walter E. Disney number one, the Lily Bell number two, and the Roger E. Brogy number three, which if you remember back to our railroad episode, 
that was the gentleman who kind of oversaw all of the train stuff and helped Walt with it. He helped Walt build the one in his backyard. So sweet. The Main Street vehicles that were in operation that day would be the fire truck, horse-drawn streetcars, horseless carriages, a jitney vehicle, which I think that's like the open one with the bench seats, and the omnibus, which they've now used it for the rainy day parade. Okay. But we need it back on Main Street. Yeah, and those were an A ticket. Correct. Ten cents. Yep. Okay. Transport you down the road. Next land is Adventureland. We could have went to the Adventureland Veranda Restaurant, the Jungle Cruise Attraction, the Swiss Family Treehouse Attraction, and the Sunshine Pavilion Attraction, also known as the Tropical Serenade, which was sponsored by the Florida Citrus Growers and brought us Orange Bird. Man, we love those guys. So... Since, you know, if we think about Disney World today versus what you're describing in 1971, was there just a bunch of open space? Were there trees? Like, was it foliage? Because right now, all I can think of is we don't have the magic carpets. We don't have, you know, any of those shops on the opposite side of like the Swiss Family Robinson treehouse. It's like, what? What is there? Well, everything was just a lot more kind of cramped in, for lack of a better term, or the guest areas were not as expansive as they are now. But there were just a lot of empty spaces. Like if you look at the hub, first of all, the moat went all the way around the hub. So that took up quite a bit of space. Mm -hmm. Secondly, they did have a lot more trees, a lot more benches, and... Yeah, kind of just at, over time, over the past 50 years, things have just kind of pushed further back, if that makes sense. No, that does make sense. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot more room just for activities, if that's what you're asking. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just, it's fun to picture as I'm sitting here, I'm trying to put myself into that headspace. So I'm trying to eliminate some of the things that I know are there now and just try to think You know, I'm trying to play that process of elimination. Yep. So officially as a land on opening day was Bear Country, which only housed one attraction, the Country Bear Jamboree. Bear Country. I need to get a hold of this map. I know. That would have been our favorite land if it was still around. This is pretty cool. Fantasyland featured the Dumbo Flying Elephants attraction, Mm -hmm. Mad Tea Party, Snow White's Adventures at this time. It wasn't Scary Adventures yet. Pinocchio Village House Restaurant, Cinderella's Golden Carousel, Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, Mickey Mouse Review Audio Animatronic Musical, It's a Small World, and The Skyway to Tomorrowland. Okay. Where was the Mickey? Philharmagic. I was thinking so, but I didn't want to assume and then the skyways, were those similar to what they had in Disneyland? Yes. Like the buckets? Yeah. Okay, cool. Okay, I got a good picture. Fron- What's next? Frontierland, which I guess I should have done this next to Bear Country because they run into each other. But Frontierland had the Frontier Shooting Gallery, which I'm really, I've never actually done it, but I really hope they open it before the 50th. It's all taped off right now. It looks very sad. Mm-hmm. Just because it's an opening day thing. The Frontier Trading Post Shop, which has become my favorite gift shop in Magic Kingdom. We stop there frequently. They have the best pens there. Pecos Bills Cafe and the Mike Fink Keel Boats Attraction. I didn't take the time to look up that yet. The Mile Long Bar, which was... It's the connector area, which now they don't connect anymore, between Country Bridge Jamboree and Pecos Bills. Oh, okay. But I mean, it was never an actual bar. Correct. So what was it, just seating? I, You're asking me questions I don't know the answers to. Oh, all right. That's okay. And the Diamond Horseshoe review, which again, open it back up for us, at least on the 50th. Because right now, I think they're just using it for overflow, overflow. for Liberty Tree. Mm-hmm. 
Give us the goods. Well, so speaking of Liberty Tree, let's talk about Liberty Square. And I think this one is very interesting because this one has pretty much remained untouched. Here you have the Hall of Presidents attraction, Columbia Harbor House restaurant, the Heritage House shop, which I think is now the Christmas shop. All right, yeah. Liberty Tree Tavern and Haunted Mansion. So pretty much nothing has changed the, I wish we could remember the actual dates. I know we've talked about it in the past of when the riverboat actually came, but I know it wasn't there on opening day. Mm-hmm. I, I think it, I think it's another one that came like later that year. And then would that have also included Tom Sawyer's Island somewhere and all that? I think, yeah, I think so. Brendan, how do you say that island? Tom Sawyer Island. This is a big debate in our house. We need to settle this. Is it Sawyer? Sawyer. Or, or Sawyer. 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 <laughs> this, this is... These are the things that haunt us. Yeah, these are why people don't listen to us. <laughs> <laughs> Lastly, we have Tomorrowland. It had the Skyway to Fantasyland attraction to go back the other way from where you came. The Grand Prix Raceway attraction, which is now the Tomorrowland Speedway. Mickey's Mart Store, which is now the, uh, what's that? Star Traders. Star Traders, yep. And the Tomorrowland Terrace Restaurant, which, let's think back. Where was this located? Originally? Disneyland? No. What no. are we talking about? Tomorrowland Terrace. It was where... The Cosmic Ray Starlight Cafe is now. Oh, yes. That's that's why I was confused. Yes. <laughs> You're giving <laughs> me such a look right now. Well, I thought I walked you into that one. Well, I'm sorry. So just some other notes that I thought were interesting. I do want to do an episode at some point about a lot of the influential people at this time who kind of picked up the wake of Walt's death and helped Roy get everything in order and able to pull this off in such a timely fashion. But of that, there were 9,000 construction workers who were on staff to build the magic kingdom. These are just like interesting number facts now. Oh, okay. That's what I'm telling you. 330,000 leaves were placed by those construction workers on the Swiss family treehouse, each placed individually by hand. When you said the leaves were placed, I honestly pictured Almost like flower girls, <laughs> like construction workers just trying to make it look natural. You know, like maybe they didn't want it to look too stuffy and like clean. So I literally pictured grown men with like trash bags full of leaves, just like throwing them I mean, like little flower great. girls. Maybe we should go as that for the 50th. <laughs> no, the ma- the leaf throwers of 1971. When it opened, there were nine acres of utilidors underneath the park. And then, like we said, there were anywhere from 8,000 to 10,000 guests on that very first day. Not two million, though. So you did say already that that's kind of what they were anticipating. So did they consider it to be a, you know, like a smashing success? Yeah, so they had... 10,000 come on the first day. They had almost 11,000 come on the second day on that Saturday, October 2nd. And from everything I read, it does seem like they really just didn't want things to go badly like it did in Disneyland. With like the park benches sinking into the asphalt and stuff like that. Yeah, because if you think about what else was going on, they're also opening the Polynesian and the Contemporary on the same day. So their hands are full. They're trying to figure out, you know, the logistics of everything. And so I think they were kind of happy to have it kind of a quiet day, nothing too crazy, the hubbub, you know, not over the top because they were advertising of saying like the big celebration is that the end of this month. Mm -hmm. You mentioned the contemporary and the Polynesian was the Grand Floridian not included at this time? No, that came later. Okay. And the monorail did still connect those two hotels to the Magic Kingdom? Yes. Okay, cool. So, 
I want to leave you with one more quote and then we can chat about anything else that's on your mind. Go ahead. You have something? <laughs> I did. Since you're the numbers guy, I just didn't know if you looked up how much a room would run you then. No. And I think we'll save that because I want to do an episode on the two hotels later. Oh, okay. Because I was going to say, we know some numbers for uh, the 50th anniversary. <sighs> and I do have a feeling it would be a drastic difference. I actually saw someone on TikTok do this recently. And it was, I dare say, it was like a nine, even after adjusted for inflation, it was a 900% increase. Wow. Yeah. Now you, now I really want you to run those numbers. That's fascinating. Maybe and we'll a do sad. A, before the 50th, maybe let's do like a full by the numbers episode or something. Okay. Talk about food, souvenirs, everything. All the things. Okay, so this is a quote that really stood out to me, and this came from our Mark Davis book that we love so much. It is just packed full of excellent quotes. This came from Wathel Rogers, and he said, I remember going down to Florida with Walt when they were first starting to develop all of that land. We stood out there in the middle of Interstate 4, right there on the highway. I looked both ways, and there wasn't a car in sight, and I said, Walt, are you sure this is the place you want to put this thing? And he said, yes. Don't worry about it, Wathel. They'll come from all directions, and we're putting it right here because it's in the middle. And I think that's just crazy that it's so hard for us to imagine now with Orlando being this pretty major city. I heard something on the radio saying that now Orlando is the largest market in the U.S. that does not have an NFL team. So, I mean, that's a sports reference, but at the same time, it's showing how much Orlando has grown, and it's hard for us to imagine today, but at that time, this was kind of crazy. I mean, the the risks that Walt took in order to do it and the perseverance of Roy not to pull the plug on it after Walt's death is pretty impressive. So... I think all of this, the reason why I wanted to do this episode was just if you're going on the 50th anniversary or if you're just going during the 18-month-long celebration, obviously you need to enjoy the moment. But I do think just knowing a little bit about the history and how things went and all of the blood, sweat, and tears that went into it give you a little bit deeper appreciation. Especially with those leaf throwers. Oh, my They God. made a big difference. This is how rumors are started. <laughs> this is how misinformation gets out there. Uh, but, I mean, I completely agree. I think this was a lot of fun. I'm glad you picked this episode. And I'm honestly even more excited to hear about the celebration that they threw because then I'm going to want to compare it. And not in like a, ooh, they got this and we have this. But like you said, in a historical way to kind of appreciate it or at least kind of be able to put ourselves into that time frame, I think it's going to be fun. Yep. So we will probably be pretty focused on the 50th anniversary for the rest of this month and probably even after it. We will be going to Magic Kingdom on the first day. So we'll be dropping an episode right after that. The Monday after we're telling about all about our experience. I do think it's also fun that both the October 1st fall on Fridays. I noticed that too when you mentioned that. And I didn't know if it just happened to work out or if everyone knew that it was going to work out because of how calendars work. But that's pretty cool. <laughs> how calendars work. Well, you know what I mean. Like with the leap years and, you yep. know. I got gotcha. you. It's a thing. So... We thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. There are three big things that could help us out that we would appreciate tremendously. One, check out our Patreon. If it's something that you think would be beneficial to you, we'd love to have you on board. If it's not for you, I would still love your feedback. Say, I'm not going to do it, and this is why, or this is what I'm looking for, whatever it might be, because we want this to be a space where, like we said, you're getting more value out of it than the monetary price to it. Secondly, if you could leave us an iTunes review, it is absolutely the best way to help the show grow and to reach new people. Let iTunes and Apple Podcasts know that they should recommend it to other people who are listening to Disney content. And lastly, if you are in the planning process 
reach out to our friend Hannah Little with Creating Magic Vacations. You can reach that free quote form at detourtoneverland.com slash little bit of Disney. That link is also down in the show notes. But I am getting really excited for this 50th anniversary. Are you? I am. I mean, it's going to be here before we know it. I think just recently going to the parks and seeing some more signs up and just little things that they've started to do here or there. You know, the merchandise is out. The castle is decorated. And they're kind of stringing us along for these last few weeks before, you know, the actual celebration. And like Brendan said, I really hope they just keep giving us stuff. You know, throughout the whole entire 18 months, I hope they continue to find little ways to celebrate or little things that they can do that mimic, you know, what actually happened that first year. I think that would be a lot of fun. On that note, I have something I need to get off my chest. Okay. If Disney is listening, which first of all, please don't thank you, but don't report us for playing copyrighted music earlier in this episode. We apologize. (laughs) It won't happen again until next week. Yeah. Um, Secondly, I think maybe an exercise that could be fun for us, and maybe we'll just do this on Instagram unless we think it could be an episode. We need to redo their 50th statues. Oh, like re-rank them? Okay, sir, this might be a rabbit hole that we don't have time for today. Tell us your grievance. Why is Kermit not on there? Justice for Kermit. Kermit needs a 50th anniversary statue, and it needs to be right there in Muppet Courtyard. It would have been beautiful. I liked Soul. I really liked Soul, the movie. But you can't tell me that Joe Gardner deserves a statue more than Kermit the Frog. So there's my grievance. I just had to get it out there, get it off my chest. I feel better already. Oh, I'm good. I'm glad. <laughs> You're good. That makes that makes me so happy to hear. <laughs> good. So I guess that's enough rambling. For today, we thank you guys so much for listening. We hope you will tune in on Monday for a new episode, and we will chat with you then. Thank you for listening to Detour to Neverland. Make sure you subscribe and leave us an iTunes review if you enjoyed the show. Between episodes, you can find us on Instagram at Detour to Neverland or visit DetourToNeverland.com. We appreciate you letting us be part of your day. See you real soon.